0: Love, 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 love. Love is, as they say, a mini splendored thing. Uh, love is perhaps the single most compelling notion in the history of the world. Uh, we all love uh, poetry or stories or movies or plays or songs that evoke, you know, that sense of, of love. And, and we spend millions, and actually probably billions of dollars to find those stories and, and tell them well and listen to them. Uh, it's been highly regarded in cultures around the world throughout history. Uh, it's, it's the motivation that not only changes the direction of individual lives, and, and am I right about that? Anybody ever had love change your direction? Mm Mm-hmm. But it it influences all the choices that we make, you know, day by day, hour by hour sometimes. Uh, And the lack of love is devastating for individuals and I I suspect for nations as well. Uh, Babies even who, who don't have love won't thrive. And can actually die as a result. Now, what happens to nations? Hmm. But Jesus talks about it today in Matthew 22. And so we're going to look at it. You said it's our jumping off points and we're told in Matthew 22, starting in verse 35, that one of the Pharisees, he was an expert in religious law. You know, there were. Hundreds of laws throughout the Old Testament scriptures on how to live and what God expects and what to do and what not to do. And this guy was an expert in those. And he tried to trap Jesus with the question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, I don't know how he was trying to trap him. I don't know what he had up his sleeve as a gotcha in that he never got to use it because of how Jesus responded. Now it was it was very common for this kind of question to be asked, and uh, all all the teachers, all the rabbis of the day would have responses. And basically, the question has to do it, it. We can unpack the question a little bit more. It's it's asking Jesus, so what do you think is the most important law or or the law through which we should understand everything else. What What's that lens? That if we can get that, that's going to color and help us understand all the other laws. That uh, if we forget everything else, if we can remember that, it's going to get us far down the road. What's the secret in some ways of, of how to look at life? And so Jesus replies with command that was originally found in Deuteronomy. And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And that this is the primary and the greatest, the biggest, most important, most foundational commandment. Now, the one that he's quoting is Deuteronomy 6, 5. Which says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That this is the lens through which we should understand that all of God's commandments have to do with this. This is the root of all of it. It's all about loving God. All those things that you thought were about other stuff and you just thought it was a bunch of stuff and who has time to memorize all that. Well, it all has to do with loving God. That's the lens through which we should understand everything else. Is that it's all about loving God. There's n- nothing more important to God than we love Him. There's Being good isn't as important to God as us loving Him. Uh, seeking power doesn't compare to loving Him. Seeking prestige or influence. It, it's about loving God and everything do we do and say and It's the most important foundational thing that we can do for God. It's to love Him. It's what we were created for. And that means that all the other commandments, everything else that you read, is, is given as a means to love Him. We don't usually think about it that way. Now, I want us to all notice that this is given to us as a command. You must love God. This this isn't just an option. This is something that we're told to do, not a suggestion. We're commanded that that if we're commanded, that means we have a choice in it. We can choose to do it or not to do it. Because in, in the Bible, love is a choice. It's, it's not primarily an an emotion it's not a feeling in our culture we focus on the feeling side of it oh i'm in love and it's wonderful or i don't love you anymore and i want us to split up and and we're talking about the feeling but this isn't about a feeling this is about a choice when it comes to feelings, nobody, not even God, can command you to feel a certain way. Or not to feel a certain way. And and when we read verses that we think are telling us how to feel, they're not telling us how to feel. They're telling us things to do and not do. Uh, if. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. I, I don't know if you're excited to be here I, uh, or, or stressed out about what's going on. Or maybe something happened this morning. You're angry or you're sad or you're infatuated with that person who's sitting a couple of rows up in front. Or you're worried about something. And if I stood up here and said, okay, I'm just going to tell you right now I want you to stop feeling how you're feeling. You would look at me like you're crazy. You can't stop that feeling, and that's exactly right. You can't control your feelings. You can control what you do in response to your feelings, but you can't control your feelings. Right? Right? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm communicating here. Uh, That's not what God is after. God is not after Your feelings. Now it's nice if you have feelings. You know, feelings of, oh, I'm I'm so taken in and have such sweet, positive, joyful feelings about God that I want to do what God wants. I mean, that's nice. But you don't have that all the time. You don't even have that all the time when you're married to somebody. Love is not about your feelings. And loving others is not about. Primarily your feelings. It's great if you have them. It's bad if you don't. But it's okay if you don't. You still have the choice. So when he commands us to love him. And and Jesus also says in the second most important. is, Is actually just as important as the first one. Is love your neighbor as yourself. And that. All of the law and all the demands that all the prophets gave to people over the history of profiting, they're based on those two things: love God and love your neighbor. And when When he says that, he's telling us to do something other than just have sweet feelings. Now, in the Bible, and I think you and I would understand this to be true anyway, God's love for us and our love for Him, it's got to be something tangible and concrete. That's, that's how all of the Hebrew language is, is made. All of the verbs are tangible word, verbs. They're doing something. If, if you're thinking of it and it's something that can only happen in your head, you're probably not getting the full picture. It's got to be something that's done, that, that's, that you can see or feel or touch or taste or do. So it doesn't just mean the feeling. It means more than. The feeling may or may not be there. For instance, love is is more about doing good things for than it is about feeling good things for. It's about prioritizing. Um, It's true with all of the other verbs that you find. When Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then you have to hate your mother and father. It, he's not talking about a feeling that he wants you to feel, have this feeling of disgust and anger and, you know, I don't want to be around my mother and father. That's not what he's talking about. It's it, it means what do you do when you love one thing and hate another one? Well, well, you gravitate toward the one, prioritize it, and, and lower the priority on the other. They didn't he didn't. They didn't have words in Hebrew at the time to compare things you, you loved or hated. There was no middle ground. And so he's, what he's really saying is, if you're going to follow me, I'm more important than your parents are. Your parents are really important. They really are. You need to honor them. That's the top ten. But you need to honor me more than your parents. They're not the final say in your life. I, I, I have that place, Jesus would say. And it's not about feeling, it's about what you do. Am I communicating? Are you all with me? So, technically, this means that you can love even your enemies. And I know you don't have good, sweet, ooey-gooey, positive feelings for your enemies. But you can love them by your actions. By doing good for them. By blessing them instead of cursing them. By looking out even for them when they're in need. Of course, uh, having the feeling, having the joy and and the sweetness and and all that, it it makes it easier. But the feeling is never enough by itself and it's never the point of the goal. The action is the point and the goal and the priority. Uh, Here's another example um, we've had three infants in, in our house over the course of our marriage. And uh, there are times that you have to get up at 3 a.m. to have, you know, to feed them and change their diaper and, and uh, cuddle them back to sleep. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. Your feelings aren't always that you want to do that. There are times when you're Frustrated. Angry at the end of your rope, just tired of it all, maybe even numb. There are also times when you feel, oh, this is the most precious thing in the world, and I'm so glad I get a chance to do this. But the feelings aren't how your love comes across, your actions are how the love comes across. And the love your infant at 3 a.m. when they need Food and a diaper change is to give them food and a diaper change and hug on them and caress them and burp them and get them back to sleep. That's how you love them. It's the action, not the feeling. And we're commanded to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Mind was added when when the Romans conquered Israel and they spoke a different language, and so they were trying to figure out how do we communicate this in their language too. And so they added mind in there. And Jesus, I'm sure, spoke mind. So that they'd understand that even our thoughts need to be pleasing to God. I, I, how we think, the priorities we make, the, the worldview we have, the understanding that we have of how it's all put together. It is a way to love God. Uh, To love God with our heart and soul is to love him with our thoughts and our desires. And to say, you know what, that's a desire that doesn't make God smile. I I need to distance myself from it so that I can consider better things. I I need to have uh, a good will. I need to use my will to choose things that are good. That God would have me choose. And to not choose things that God wouldn't have me choose. Uh, but the understanding that we need to have down to the very core of who we are. That's our heart. Is the very core of our being. Is how they thought about it. Uh, to make decisions that make him smile. To have a worldview that recognizes that God is in charge. Not a worldview that thinks power is most important. To have a worldview that recognizes that God loves us, instead of us trying to find ways to get you. To have all the things that that we do, all the actions we take, be pleasing to God. Strength. You know, we, we hear that. The way they used the word then was that it meant property. That was your strength when you read about it in the Bible. Think thinking in terms of um, he did it with all of his strength. It means he, he did it with everything that that he tangibly could call his or hers. Uh, it, it refers to your time. You know, and we're told to give the Sabbath to God and just stop everything else. Just rest. Just just don't anymore. For that, that day. So our time is part of our, our strength. Our property. Our spouse and family are part of our strength and property. How do we treat our spouse? Do we lay ourselves down? Uh, men, for our spouse. Do we honor and respect? Ladies, our, our husbands. As we would the Lord. That's that's the way to love. Uh, our money is, is to be used. It's part of our strength. And so it's to be used. We know that that it's not just that we're supposed to give it away. That wasn't the point, the, because we know that it's good to pay taxes when taxes are due. It, it's good to leave an inheritance for your kids. It's good to give to the poor and people that need it. It's and you can't have it if you've already given it all away, right? It's there's nothing wrong with the having, but what do you do with it? Uh, our homes. We're supposed to be hospitable in how we use our homes. We're, we're supposed to submit and serve our spouse, submit to and serve our spouse like we would the Lord instead of trying to control them. So the question is, will we do this? Will we love God and, and our neighbor with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We're given some other ways to do it in the the other scriptures that we read today. Exodus 22. These are all ways to love God and love each other. And and I want you to notice that evidently God is loved when we love other people. He counts that as love toward him when we love other people, when we do good for them, when we seek their best, when, when we treat them the right ways. So, for instance, don't mistreat an alien, a foreigner, or oppress him. Because you, Jewish people, were aliens in Egypt. Don't forget your own history. And don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan. It's easy to take advantage of widows and orphans. Because they don't have anybody else looking out for them. And they can be marginalized and forgotten about. Don't do that. Love them. And, and, and the way you love them is you take care of them. Don't take advantage of them. He, he said, also, uh, if you lend money, it's, it's, it's fine to lend money. Lend money. And there are times when it's okay to get interest back, you know. I'll loan you 20, but you owe me 22. And that's a good deal at times. I mean, we do that for houses and all that. But there are times it's not okay that to love God and love people that if someone's really needy, don't take advantage of them like a moneylender would. Somebody who only cares about the profit. Don't, don't charge interest at those times when they really need it. That's the best way to love God and, and to love each other. Uh, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you know, that's, you know, that's meant to be, Hey, I need to borrow your pot. Well, how do I know you're going to bring my pot back? Well, I'll let you hold my cloak in, until I do. And when I bring your pot back, you can give me the cloak. Okay, fair deal. But you can love God and love your neighbor by recognizing if that's the only way that, that this person keeps warm at night, don't put him through that. Give him back their cloak. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a, pre- as a pledge return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. Don't make him be out in the cold for this. Love God. Love your neighbor by the choices you make. And we move on into Psalm 1, which we read. And Psalm 1 is the a, is a look at, at the comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous. A- and they're different in the way they think. And act into and whom they belong. And, and the the implication here is the righteous are the ones that are trying to love God and, and love their neighbor. The unrighteous aren't trying to do that. Maybe they're putting themselves first. Maybe they're seeking power. Maybe they're just lazy and don't care. But it's a contrast between those who are seeking to love God and love neighbor and those who aren't. And it says, oh, the joys of those who don't follow the advice of the wicked. The people that don't even care about loving God or loving neighbor. There's joy in not following their advice. There's joy in not standing around with people who don't love God and don't love neighbor. There's, there's a joy by, by not spending all your time. Mama was right. You become like your friends. Choose your friends wisely. Don't don't join in with the mockers, the ones that make fun of you for loving God and, and loving neighbor. Don't join in with, with folks like that. The, instead, be one of the ones that delight in the law of the Lord. And the greatest law is to love God. Second greatest is just as important. Love your neighbor. Delight in that. Choose to do that and, and to let that Be a good motivation for you. Meditate on it day and night. Think about that. Think about how important it is. Think about ways that you can do it. Think about the choices that you have before you and and kind of run it through that filter every day. Well, if I do that, would that bring a smile to God's face? Would that help my neighbor out? And the people that will do that, the people that will consider the choices that they make to love God and love neighbor and and set their hearts, set set that as as their goal. Those people are like trees planted along the riverbank. Now, just an aside here, we're talking about an area of the world where this was written that's arid. There's a lot of desert. There's a lot of dryness. Trees don't grow very well if they don't have a source of water. Now, trees that are planted next to rivers, do you think they get enough water? Yeah. What's the benefit for the tree that it gets enough water? Oh, man, it it gets to take in what it needs. It's got enough water to even put into growing fruit. Trees that don't have enough water? They don't, they don't put out much fruit. You don't get much lemon in the, in a, from a lemon tree planted in the desert. It just doesn't happen. Uh, the leaves dry up, don't they? Fall off. But a tree planted next to the river, man, they bear fruit each season. And their leaves never wither. Everything they do prospers. And the comparison is, if you will make the choice... To buy your actions and thoughts and, and will and, and your mind and your soul and your strength with all that you have, choose to love God and love your neighbor. Guess what you're going to be like? That's where you get your sustenance, that's where you, you find the source of life that we all want to find. It's in doing those things. That's why these things are so foundational. That these two things are behind everything that the prophets ever told the Israelites. Love God. Love your neighbor. It goes better for you when you do. You find you get connected to the source of life in ways that other things just don't satisfy. And it reflects God's character to anybody who's looking at you. Now. Now. How does this apply to us? Well, well I was reminded this week uh, of something that I think is very true. That we as a church have an enormous, enormous opportunity. The local church, the local neighborhood church is the hope of the world. That in a world of People that don't understand what we know to be true in a world of of people that are everybody's trying to get theirs. They're trying to get a bigger piece of the pie so that that they can have and, uh, you know, whether or not others do and self first and power and respect and chasing after these other things and they're dry They're drying up and they're not fruitful, they're not prospering, no matter how much is in their accounts. That a world like that needs to know what we know. And who's going to let them know if we don't? What is the hope that the people out there that don't know how much God loves them or or how much we can Love him and how good that is. What hope do they have if they don't find that out? And it's not going to happen because of a church in Orlando or Miami or Oklahoma or Timbuktu. It happens because of the local church. The local church is the hope of the world. There is no second best. This is it. We're the ones. Jesus recognized that. He told his disciples, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Because that's the hope of the world is that we'll go. We'll, we'll love God and love our neighbor enough to do it and that they'll receive the love that God has for them through us. The local neighborhood church is the hope of the world. It's our job to make disciples. It's the Lord's job, he said, to build the church. And if we will do what he's called us to do, then we'll be like the tree planted by streams of water, which bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatever we do prospers. Because we're loving God and loving neighbor, our job is to make disciples. Now, I'm going to close with this. I don't know if you've heard of the Talmud. Talmud. Or not. The Talmud is a kind of a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They just call it the scriptures. And it's it's collected commentary on that. And this is, this comes from the Talmud. And it's an answer to a question of how powerful is love? How powerful is love? And this is what it says. There are Ten powerful things were created in the world. Mountains are hard, but iron cuts through them. Iron is hard, but fire melts it. Fire is strong, but water extinguishes it. Water is strong, but the clouds bear it away. Clouds are strong. But the body contains it every time you breathe. The body is strong, but fear breaks it. Fear is potent, but wine dispels it. Wine is powerful, but sleep assuages it. And stronger than all these is death. But love delivers even from death. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And aren't you glad that's true? So, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself for truly this is the whole of the law and the message of the prophets. So says the son of God. Amen. Amen. Let us respond to that by reminding ourselves of who this God is that loves us so much by standing and and let's join in with the Apostles' Creed like people around the world today are doing.